you're listening to the Back That Book Up podcast. This is my third episode. Wow. This podcast is hosted and produced by moi, Sylvie. And each episode, I'm chopping up with an author. I'll be deep diving into their latest book, discussing their passions, motivations, and just doing a little mingle mingle. And today is nothing different. Today, I have Sadia Asmat, and she has written Sex Bomb, and it is a memoir about her life. Here's the sort of things and conversations that you can expect. Have you ever had a threesome? No, I'm joking. I'm just being stupid. It's only two of us on the call, unfortunately. I mean... (laughs) I'm going to fling it back as it's my podcast. Have you had a threesome, Sadia? I, I had my work cut out for me because I called it Sex Bombs. Even Muslims who would have potentially supported the book if I had just called it Story of Sadia, Story of Aladdin's. I ask God a lot on a daily level. Please help me find a good guy. Please help me. And then I found a real nice one. It feels like a jungle out there and I get that. So how I kickstart every episode, Sadia, is I say three words that I think the book invokes for me. So I'm going for unfiltered, saucy, because we know we're British, saucy, and vulnerable. Oh, I love that, Sylvie. And three is the magic number. Thank you to, for having me on episode three. Very excited. Thanks for coming Have on. Have you ever had a threesome? No, I'm joking. I'm just being stupid. It's only two of us on the call, unfortunately. I mean, I'm going to fling it back as it's my podcast. Have you had a threesome, Sadia? No, I'm not allowed. I think it's not. I think it's haram, Sylvie. I mean, the thing is, it's hard enough to find one guy. You see what I mean? I don't even know how you're going to find multiples. Jesus. She said, let me secure the one bag first before we (laughs) I think this episode's going to be lively. I, I feel like we've established that already. We've established that. <laughs> yes, baby. I'm not going to let you down. You're lively too. I go, I go bring it. I go bring it for my sister. She said, energy, energy. Give me some energy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First things first, the title, Sex Bomb. You've gone straight in. I did. What, what was the play on words? Why this title? There's a, it's got multiple connotations for me. So I feel like Muslims, unfortunately, for whatever reason, has been kind of associated with terrorism and extremism and frankly, bombs. And so I think, but what is a sex bomb to me in terms of, sorry, what is, we've been associated with a lot of terror and extremism inadvertently or without any just cause, in my opinion. And but one thing that I think is a bit of a bomb is talking about sex, especially in my community. I mean, not to me necessarily, but I feel like I'm in a bit of an exception. So sex can be a bit of a bomb to talk about. And sex bomb with the Tom Jones song aside, because boy, the amount of people that come up and sing sex bomb, sex bomb to me, but it wasn't because of that, babe, boy. And listen, if there's an iconic British tune, maybe don't name your book after that. That's a lesson I learned. But anyway, sex bomb, like, you know, it's, it's a sexy woman, iconic kind of, you know, a raw, oh, look at her. So up, there's a cover of a hijabi on the, on the front of the book and mm-hmm. the title is Sex Bomb. Is that could a Muslim woman hijabi be a sex bomb? So because I feel like our portrayal in the mainstream media has been so off so off for so long like we've been 
basically incorrectly labeled as repressed, one-dimensional, bland, all of these things that I don't see in any of the interactions I have with any Muslim sister I come across. They're very independent, very strong, very empowered, and you never, ever, ever get that impression. People just always are like, we're forced into things, like forced into marriage, forced into wearing this, forced into that, and we ain't. That's not the reality, blah, blah, blah. We're not in Iraq right now. So anyway... The other thing is, obviously, I do comedy, so sometimes jokes bomb. It's like drop a few sex bombs, drop a few, like, content bombs. I don't know. So it's got different nuanced meanings to me. But ultimately, I wanted to challenge the the kind of incorrect stereotype about Muslim women kind of being unable to talk, talk, unable to talk about sex. Cool. And, all right, so your memoir, tell us a bit. And for anyone who hasn't read the book, in a sentence, give us, what's it, they call it the elevator pitch. Oh, babes, like, this elevator is going to have to have a fire alarm and be a long one, you know what I mean? <laughs> Basically, it's my life story. So I talk about how I got into comedy. I talk about my understanding and misunderstanding of relationships, um, where I stood into it because I was a bit of a tomboy. Um, so guys never really came at me like that. Confusion because white people's always assuming I'm going to have an arranged marriage. In my home, that was never discussed, never really going to happen. In the absence of men approaching me, in the absence of an arranged marriage, like what kind of information or even education was I equipped with to deal with the dating world none so I talk about how I navigated a space that doesn't really it isn't really for Muslim women you could say or isn't advertised as such so how I found love lost love what sexuality meant to me how I could feel sexy wearing being covered like 95% of my body Mm. Um, 98% 98% of the time. So it's, it's talking about the real, just about my life, really. Ups and downs. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. So there were a couple of things I took from the book, but one of the ones that I think it's just a creative person in me is that I want to talk about the sitcom pilot. So throughout the book, you speak about how you invest in yourself. And I think this is something, we talk about sexiness, we talk about females, we talk about empowerment. But you also went one step further and economically invested in yourself, or at least attempted to in the process. So tell me about the sitcom pilot. I want the team. You're very keen-eyed. I love this about you, Sylvie. I'm, I mean, if you could hear that at home, that's a round of applause. You may want to put some effects. I am impressed, baby, because I get asked a lot, but this is a very niche thing, so I can see that your creative eyes caught onto it quite rightly. So this was basically a while ago. You know when the girls from Bethnal Green i.e. the Bethnal Green girls left to go to ISIS. A little bit stressed and traumatised, you could say, um, in terms of the way that the media was sensationalising something that was quite traumatic or um, sensitive. I felt really badly about the situation and I didn't understand. First of all, nobody asked me to join ISIS. I didn't get the party invite or the memo. So I was like, this ain't a Muslim ting ting because I'm Muslim. So what is going on? And the, the way they're talk, talking about jihadi bride and this, that, and they have all these names they're coming up with where they don't even understand the terminology. It was quite disrespectful and ignorant. Can, so, I, can I pause you there for one second? Because that's yes. something that I do want to touch upon. Yes. There's something to be said about comprehension and also using Google, right? <laughs> and I say this... <laughs> Jihad, all of these words, you can readily Google it or at least translate it back into Arabic if you would really like to know what the term is. I don't think that's done enough. I think people start translating and they start flinging words and suddenly... 
Bam. But you see what they're doing is that they're not looking for the real meaning. What they're doing is picking up on buzz points to feed their own kind of almost warped fantasy about what they have kind of misunderstood about extremism. I embarked on a little bit of research. I did a lot of research. I interviewed over 80 people close to, to the um, situation, including academics and schools and um other other basically loads of people like other researchers you, you basically so wanted on a whole phd thesis so i wrote a pilot i definitely did invest in it with not just the time in the researching but also hired a script editor in la we worked on a pilot mm. and it was at one point looking like it was neck and neck between my project and another project called the state with Channel 4, which ultimately the state got commissioned because it was written by somebody that has obviously got writing credits and stuff like that. Mm. And I was basically told that I was ahead of my time. Okay. And the irony on that is now loads of people are doing radio projects about Shemima and people, they're doing great. They're eating off of it. What they're telling me is I'm ahead of the time, but the things that I'm talking about are actually happening in real time. Mm. First, that's one. And then the second thing is, is that... So I'm meant to be behind my time? I'm meant to be backwards? Is that the way you're going to accept me is if I'm backwards? Where do, oh, okay. Where, where do I fit on this imaginary timeline is basically your question. So where, you where haven't caught up with me. You haven't caught up with me. That's my fault. Apparently so. Yeah, that's what I took from that. So, and I think... It, it, it speaks a lot to the critics will, will say, look, screenwriting is a very busy, sorry, it's a very challenging industry. Loads of people get rejected all the time and it's part of the parcel. And I know that. So there is that side of it. When you're screenwriting, Sylvie, they always want to know why you, why now? Always want to know what your personal thing is. If that's all in alignment and then you're still getting you're ahead of your time type of things. What do they want me to do? Go and do a Citizen Khan? No, what? Have you not seen Back to the Future? Oh, yes. Oh, You're meant yes. to be one of those characters and figure out. A time traveller. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's what is expected of you. So start okay. building that. Start FYI. Building. Yeah. FYI. <laughs> I'm just, the news just came in from the future and I'm just passing it on to you. <laughs> for real, for real. Okay. Do you still have, is this something that that you might pitch now or you think it's just, it's gone and done? Where's your mind on that? Um, I feel like there's one thing to create the art. But then it's, I feel like you have to be able to do something with the art, right? You have to you have to be able to trade the art. You need to be able to kind of have a system where it translates it translates into being product distributed and all of those things. So I think creating art is like heavy lifting anyway. So you need to be if I without without a kind of a system or an in to be able to kind of translate all of that heavy lifting into kind of to be consumed then it's not that I've retired it it's just that I haven't figured out a way or an in with the game to get the motions okay okay well don't get rid of it keep hold of it okay thank you (laughs) we're ahead of your time the time might catch up who knows knows? that's nice of you to say no you don't believe in your source I mean you've written it and you've invested in it this is just the publishing the publishing babe in me right what made you write this as a memoir as opposed to creating it? This is just my opinion, but I feel like fiction is hard. My background is stand-up, so I'm really good at translating everyday situations into kind of an anecdote or story. And ultimately, I guess 
the way that I thought I could do the topic sex bomb justice was by bringing my story forward, not trying to annotate because Muslim women, contrary to popular belief, is that we're all very diverse. Everybody has their own comfort levels. Some feel comfortable being labelled horny. Some people don't want to pick up the book sex bomb in case it explodes in their hands. So everybody is so different, you understand? So the best way I could do it is telling the story that I wanted to tell and my story. So just I just wanted to normalise what I had been through so that other people didn't feel ashamed of other things that have happened to them, whether it's similar or different. I might just tell the real story. Okay, cool. That's what I did. Because I don't like, you know... I was say there was this name called Sabrina. There was a girl called Sabrina who did did did. Or I could just say this is me, guys. This is what I did. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I just... am Sabrina. I'm <laughs> yeah, Sabrina. yeah, yeah. Because that's what people say. You know, like where they're like, oh, um, me and my friends. Uh, you know, in stand up, yeah. sometimes they're like, and oh, a like friend of mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm not in delusion mode. I'm just trying to trying to tell it as it is. She said, "I'm not going to leave you guessing if I'm the friend. I'm telling you straight. <laughs> you are speaking to I." <laughs> I don't want to know about the numbers, the stats, how it's sold, but I want to know you personally, Sadia, how have you felt your reception to the book from your community and people? How's that been? Ooh, uh, how long have you got, Sylvie? It came out in hardback. It was all right. I didn't really get too much hate or anything like that. I felt that some women, Muslim women, were a bit put out by it. I say I felt, I was informed that some Muslim women was put out by it, but it is what it is. When you but say then, put out... I contacted the editor, so I got the proofs back. So, audience, listeners, when you finish your fucking 50th draft, you get a lovely PDF version, which makes it look like it's almost there and it's ready for print, right? So I got mm-hmm. this sent to me, and it just so happened somebody on Twitter had followed me, an Asian Muslim woman who's an editor of a Muslim publication. So I got the proofs through. I, I sent her, her the proof. I was like, oh, would love to be featured in your magazine. Straight away, just got a response saying, what are you doing? Do you want to explain yourself? because the title is Sex Bomb. So clearly it wasn't for her. There's been a lot of supportive Muslim women, so it's difficult for me to just say Muslims hate it because that's not true, and I, don't, mm-hmm. and I am Muslim and I love Muslims, so definitely Muslim women have supported it. But then the paperback was due to come out 1st of June, and I had a bookshop event in Five Leaves Bookshop in Nottingham, which is known to be a diverse from diverse bookshop whatever that means I don't know what that means the guy was real excited about having the event two weeks before I still hadn't heard from him even though we'd arranged it months before Mm. dropped him an email dropped me an email back saying oh Muslim women don't want to help with your book event so we're cancelling it okay so it's tricky there's been a lot more support than non-support but a non-support is judging the book by its cover nobody's reading it if they had wanted to come and have a conversation with me that would have been cool but just what is that that's like sideways just like cancelling a Muslim that ain't really done nothing to you because at the end of the day as we've discussed it's a memoir I'm talking about myself I have a disclaimer in the book to say if you want to go find out about Islam there's other sources out there this is not that book it's important for me to shout out the black community because they have been so helpful and supportive and loving and I guess it's a lesson that sometimes your kind of community may not always be the ones that fully resemble you, basically. You're saying that my people pulled up for you, basically. They, they, they came did. To the, they came to the barbecue for you. They did, <laughs> indeed. That was a lot of love and support. And to be honest with you, that's powerful and that can really help you get through mm. a lot 
of things that you don't even know if you're lacking a bit of it it really really helped a lot I'm not being funny because that love is completely unconditional and very very pure and it meant a lot to me it really really does still mean it means everything that's why I'm mentioning it oh well I'm 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 happy that there was support even if it wasn't unexpected way in that sense yeah and yeah I think it's a tricky land with comedy because (laughs) maybe people don't get the joke so if they don't want to get a joke they don't want to get the joke it's subjective but also could could it be right I'm just throwing it out there could it be that sex bomb is almost like 50 shades of grey in the sense where maybe people are reading it under their magazine and stuff yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a couple of women who was like, I'm afraid to take the book home. <laughs> I had another guy, this was a weird white guy who was like, Oh, have you got center for Have you got like pictures in there? So, yeah, exactly. Your face says it all, Sylvie. I've had some people say there's not enough sex in it. I've had some people say there's too much sex in it. So, a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback's coming through. Do you know what it is? Books are subjective. So, I mean, one will take what they want to take from it. I, I have a. F- feeling maybe this ain't the right place to say it but I feel so comfortable with you Sylvie I have a feeling that some people assume that this would be slanderous towards Islam maybe and then that's not what it was and so it was difficult for people to identify what this actually is because um, having a Muslim uh, a practicing Muslim but then also um, speaking out on some topics that, that I did it's difficult for people to process they'd rather put people in boxes you're either very angry as a Muslim or disenfranchised or a bad Muslim and stuff so people found it tricky to reconcile that I'm actually balanced and that most Muslim women are not as as they may have assumed them to be. I guess what I'm saying is that I'm not calling out. This ain't this ain't selling out. Like I'm not selling out. They don't know how to identify someone who, like me because that's not what you see. So th- I, I I cut my work out for me because I called it sex bomb. Tom Jones still beat me on that because everyone just come up and sing his song to my face. I'm like not again. So <laughs> the joke's on me there. So so yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that people. I I had my work cut out for me because I called it sex bombs. Even Muslims who would have potentially supported the book if I had just called it story of Sadia, story of Aladdin's... What was her name? Fucking Jasmine. Jasmine. Story story of sexy Jasmine or whatever not. I'm tired. There's been so much hate towards Muslim women, so much ignorance and so much disrespect for so long. That's why I was like, there you go, sex bomb. Mm, No, I hear that. You should be able to own your narrative, right? From what I'm hearing, yes, I am a Muslim. I don't, I can't speak on every Muslim. Yes. But I can speak on myself because I am a Muslim and I'm in this community and my voice matters in this community. And also, I guess from a from another point of view is that I feel like if women can't talk about relationships or own the relationships, maybe that means that they're on the back foot and then if things get tricky and they need to get out or they need help, but nobody's able to know about it. So I'm trying to help them on that flex too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's, that's a byproduct of the work I'm trying to do. Obviously, ultimately, I'm just trying to write my memoir and be entertaining and be all of the things that I guess fall under that category but if as a byproduct it it makes people feel a little bit more empowered to discuss topics that they've not felt comfortable to before and normalize and, and humanize muslims experiences that would definitely be a win good good i know we're talking about wins but does there is something that really spoke out to me 
Okay. So I just want to, I want to get my page up. I want to get my page because I don't want to misquote because it's not going to be me misquoting because that's okay. bad. Okay. Uh, you've touched on a bit. The chapter is called Nightcrawler, right? And you spoke yes. about so many groups not seeing you, right? Mm. So you quote, so many groups couldn't see me. Comedians didn't, didn't. I wasn't famous. My family didn't. I wasn't married. Asians, did, Asians didn't. I was open about sex. White people didn't. They thought I was associated with terrorism. <laughs> so when it comes to writing, do you feel seen? Is there a group that sees you when you write? That's a great question. I'm going to answer it as best I can. Now, with writing, this is my first book ever. It's my memoir, right? So I didn't realise that the way that works or the way it's helpful for it to work is if you write to as large an audience as possible. Whereas with stand-up, you've got the people in front of you. You know you know what area they're from. You know what they look like. You're trying to please them specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with, with writing, you're broadening your um, audience to, quote-unquote, whoever will read, whoever will listen, right? So... It's a tricky one because what you're asking me is, is does you, do, did you find a following? Did you find a market? And it's a yes and no. A lot of women and even men, to be honest, have supported the book. Some of them, people have discovered it because they work in a women's refuge and they're like, oh, okay, well, we've got some people who your experiences or story may resonate with. There is that aspect of it. But then the other aspect of it is there's probably a lot wider market that maybe hasn't heard about the book. So it, it's a definitely difficult one to kind of fully fully know. And a lot of it is down to me because the way that publishing works is, especially for first-time authors, which is all I can talk on, is that they it's like a social experiment. It's a little test that will kind of see how this project goes. Uh, well, do you know what? It's a le- it's, it is a learning game. I want one last bit of tea before I move on. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here. So, I'm not in the Asian community, so I want to understand this little piece of information. Mm. You said that there were views, so for women who dated out of their race in the community, right, there were views of people people who dated white men as being soft and people who dated black men as being loose. Yes. Can you, how and why? What are the differences? Why? Yeah, I said yes too quick, didn't I? I'm sorry, Sylvie. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was high-fiving my writer <laughs> self at the time. So... <laughs> so basically like it's it's a very ignorant chauvinistic whatever stereotype or belief or or misbelief misconception let's say i've spoke to a lot of asian girls along the way who i've come across in life and sadly if their first marriage didn't work out with an asian guy then they're like i'm gonna remarry or i'm dating this white guy and i think some asian men might be put out a little bit by that not all asian men may i say because there's a lot of asian guys marrying or dating white and black women so it's not all of them so i'm not hating but there's a few of the Asian ones that is oh you know A they're like they can't handle an Asian man or B they're like you know the white man is a bit like easier going type of thing less okay. spicy less spicy okay. let's say so okay. I've, I'm, I can only assume those are the, the those are the things because sadly without you asking this question this doesn't get discussed a lot and I think it's a good question and it's really interesting to unpack unfortunately I think with the black guys I don't okay, know. But, but when you say uh, loose, like, are we talking loose? Is it like st- like loose pum pum, just loose behaviour? What, not pum pum, no. Oh. <laughs> I feel like loose maybe wasn't a detailed enough. Don't make me edit my book again, Sylvia. I was working on it for three <laughs> no, years, sorry, please. Sorry. No, what <laughs> I mean is, I feel... Okay, let me be real. I guess, I guess that maybe it's not going to be... This is going to sound really horrible. 
Loose is in. It's not going to be a serious relationship. Loose is in. Okay. Then it's black men. It's not a black man. Okay. Okay. It's messy. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. And it's not my view, by the way. It's, it's not my What view. Is that okay? Is that I don't know if it's that I really don't know, or it could just be that there's skeptics about relationships if it's gonna last and stuff. There could be okay. that side of things. Could be that as well. Maybe you know. the mindset's more. It's just a fun time, not a long time, as opposed to. Yeah, which I don't know. To be honest, even even with intergenerational Asian families, like they don't discuss. They I haven't been privy to discussions as to why they may think that. But I guess they're not seeing them with an Asian guy, and then they're seeing them with a black guy who they I guess don't know a lot about. So the、mm. the guy could be really like it probably is really great and committed and stuff. But I think it's more fear of fear of the unknown. Yeah, fear the unknown, probably a bit of stereotyping as well. In all fairness, yeah, it's not. I don't know where they get it from because it's not like they know hip hop culture or anything. Not that, not that that's the only <laughs> in. But where do they know this from? Where are they getting this from? You know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's unjustified because if you don't have links to the community, like you said, you don't have links to the community. So you're asking. Same with me. If I'm not black, then I'm gonna ask these questions, or I'm gonna I'm gonna be fair or try to be fair at least. I feel like that was a question that opened more questions. Didn't didn't <laughs>、yes, really provide the、yeah. answer, but I feel like we need some black people in the room, like more black people to to talk about it. Really, I feel like I shouldn't be talking about it as well. Or I, I like need to go not... and sit down with someone's with someone's South Asian auntie. You should. Auntie, that would be say, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm. Yeah, because I'm assuming based on ignorance, but that's not really good. I feel like the tea needs to be discussed. I'm gonna need to go and ask someone. I'm gonna <laughs> need to go sit down and figure stuff out. Cause yeah, it's very dated though. It's very dated, but I think it was just a very fast way. Because the whole book isn't obviously focusing on that, but I think it was a fast way in terms of not honing in on it. But it's that there is a complication with. Asian elders accepting interracial interracial relationships relationships period. So whether that's、okay. white or black or whatever, whatever, it's just there isn't. It, it, it feels tricky for Asian women or even Asian men who are come across who have to then explain it or seek seek their blessing type of thing.、Mm. It doesn't feel like it's smooth. But I feel like that's just. Some some elders that's like them with any relationship. So the race is one aspect of it, but it's not the whole aspect. They they want to know everything about the guy that's going to be involved in the family. Yeah, from that perspective, I get that because sometimes it's are they even from our country? Are they from our area? Do they know our customs? There's so many extra questions I think that come up. About. There's a whole podcast in in how to please the in-laws, isn't there? I haven't got to that point where in-laws have had to get involved and stuff. So I guess I'm a bit naive or ignorant about that. Or what's the word? Yeah, I don't know. But I don't even know that it's that easy because it looks like these some of these people make up the rules themselves. So it's about unlearning. Along, yeah. yeah, they got to unlearn some stuff, and then because half the time they're not even listening to their son or daughter in in the first place, like what they want. They're already putting on them because they don't want them to get hurt. I'm sure. Usually, it's coming from a, a, a protective place. Yeah, it's very interesting because I even was talking to an Asian girl the other day who bought my book, and she was like, you know, sometimes I wonder if I hadn't been rebellious and if I had had that arranged marriage, would I be happily settled now? Yeah, can I just ask you? Can I tell you something? That discussion is being had with a lot of people now. I want to say that why people aren't having that discussion. On the basis that typically arranged or in any sort of in the black and Asian cultures, it may not be quote unquote arranged, but it's、uh, I know such and such's family. We grew up with them. The matching, let's say, 
a lot of people are now having those discussions with their parents now, particularly because there's, there's a jungle. This dating thing is a jungle. People are like, so these bad. streets are cold. <laughs> actually, my mum and dad may have been onto something. And then like people are now asking their parents, like, do you know someone? And that, but, I haven't heard about that in ages. And also, was it just that like the British, the pressure of trying to live up to being British was so much that it pushed us too far away from our traditions or cultures? And even though we didn't want like a blind one where you just see a picture and then boom, you're like in bed with them or, or marrying them. But then like it pushed us too far from the possibility, which really and truly you see the British royal family do arranged marriage things all the time. So or marry their cousins. Between love and arrange, the survival rates of these marriages, by the way, it's, it's not a lot in it. Percentage-wise, about 50, 50-50-ish. Well, but people also say there's in a lot of places and communities, love for them is, let me not slaughter it, but in the sense where love grows, it grows out of respect and commitment as opposed to, I'm in love, so we're going to get married. They're like, no, you get married first and love and respect and that come through. And I'm telling you now, I'm starting to, <laughs> my mind is shifting. I'm like, <laughs> maybe them lot were onto something. Maybe. It worked a lot. It wasn't like this, where there's I've, like Tinder Tuesdays and all this that and the other. I've been watching on Netflix. I've been watching the matchmaking shows. The Indian matchmaking. Asian listen, matchmaking. She, the Indian matchmaking has had, listen, I don't know if I'm being indoctrinated, but I'm telling you now, I've been watching it so hard and I'm like, Hmm. But the good thing is with that as well, they pray. It's, let's not forget prayer, people. The forget about process. these. Forget about the Tinder apps. Pray. I'm not being funny, but I ask God a lot on a daily level. Please help me find a good guy. Please help me. And then I found a real nice one. It, it feels like a jungle out there, and I get that. But basics work. Speak to God. Speak to God. He He hears you. He feels your pain. I think He's He can change everything. Before we wrap up, I do want to ask my final question. All right. Yes. So I know that you're an author, I know that you're a comedian, and I feel like from the book I've got a whole lot of tea about your life. But aside from that, what have you left out? Who else is Sadia? That's real cool. I love this question. It's, it's deep. It's, oh, your life story in a book wasn't enough. Give us more. I'm joking. No, no, it's real. It's real. A lot of things come across in the book. I like to mentor people. I think helping people is, is important. Obviously, you get all the sex from the book, but... I guess I didn't talk about my faith a lot. God first and foremost. God, God, God. Thanks to God. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> right. Where can people keep up to date with you, Sadia? Where can they yeah, find you? Well, my Tinder profile, guys, is... No, I'm just, <laughs> I wouldn't... I wouldn't go. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. No, I hate social media, but I have to be on there because such is, such is the world that we're in. So if you want to follow me, it's Sadia. Uh, on Instagram, it's at Sadia underscore Asmats with an S at the end on my website is www.sadiaasmat.com there's a free guide 10 things you've always wanted to know about the headscarf but were afraid to ask that signs you up to my mailing list you can get the guide for free and yeah just hopefully in comedy club please buy my book because it's a labor of love and so if you have the ability to steal money to buy my book do that or just buy it uh, do what you need to do uh, yeah do what you need to do or dm me let's work something out that sounds very, very cheeky, but okay. <laughs> Is that okay? I, I didn't say steal or copy from Waterstones. Can I say that? Uh, she said, oh, DM yeah, me, can... we will work something out. <laughs> On that note, we have reached the end of this episode of Back That Book Up. This is episode three, and I spoke to Sadia Azmat about her book, Sex Bomb, and it is a memoir about her life, her upbringing, sex, the East End of London, and her journey through comedy.